So I'm Zach Weiner. Uh, I'm the author of my debut novel, What We Never Had, out now on Rare Bird Books. I am uh, also a teacher and, and a grant writer. I work for a nonprofit that does work uh, in juvenile detention centers. Um, so I work to help get uh, the writing of incarcerated youth published and disseminated to the public. Um, and I'm here with Rich Ferguson. Rich, why don't you tell yeah, I'm, us? Yeah, I'm Rich Ferguson, uh, author of New Jersey Me, which is my debut novel out on Rare Bird Books as well. I am a teacher here in Los Angeles, and I am also a spoken word performer. I've performed nationally and internationally. Uh, you know, Zach, I... Well, first of all, I really, I really enjoyed your book, and I, I have a number of questions I want to ask you about, about the book. I also, well, you know what, I, I, I'm going to just jump right into the book, and I can get to other questions later. Um, one of the things that most struck me about your book, how you tell the story, and I, and I think it's something you maybe mentioned in other interviews, Writing in the second person, I'm mm -hmm. curious if you first tried tackling the novel from first person or third person, or if, if second person was something that you just kind of felt from the very beginning. How did that come about? Um, so first of all, thanks for, uh, thanks for the kind words. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Uh, I have the second person was I was working with that from the beginning. It was uh I had been working with this character for a little while before that, um, which is probably just a thinly veiled uh a disguised version of myself, but um but an an incarnation from from that seemed like lifetimes ago in many ways. And uh I so the second person felt kind of natural because there was, uh, there was a, a real distance and, and, a, and a, a curiosity with the, that character psychology that I wanted to examine. And, um, also a, a desire maybe to <clears throat> distance myself. Um, not that the story is memoir. It's, uh, it's not, it's fiction. Um, but the circumstances, uh, were familiar at least, um, and certainly resembled, uh, friendships and relationships. Um, so it was a personal story and, and it felt the second person gave me the distance that I needed to sort of examine that character, uh, from the outside. Um, yeah. and perhaps like admonish a little bit from time to time and also, right, and also right. kind of, yeah, but also take care of, you know, look after. I think it's really important to to not uh, write off, you know, things, uh, versions of ourselves that, that might embarrass us in retrospect and, and to uh, to understand them. Otherwise, we, you know, we jeopardize um, our, I, I think, our, our overall health and where we're at in the future. Yeah, in the yeah. I saw in an interview that you did where you talked about 
how the novel kind of, and you sort of said it before, I believe, how the novel mm. sort of bloomed out of, grew out of a shorter piece of writing that you did through this voice. And it's, it's interesting because in a certain way, my novel is similar. I had actually written a, a performance piece, a spoken word piece, through the mm-hmm. voice of my narrator, Mark, not thinking that I was going to write a novel in the beginning, but then I was so sort of taken by the voice of my narrator that after I'd written this uh, spoken word piece, performed it a little bit, I kind of felt like, you know what, I want to explore this guy's voice a bit more. I want to keep writing. I want to keep listening to what he might have to tell me. And sort of through numerous fits and starts and trying to write the novel originally as a novel and short stories, which uh, when I got Mm -hmm. paired with Seth Fisher, one of uh, Tyson's editors, (laughs) after working in that fashion for years, scrapped that idea, originally wrote the novel in chapters. But anyway, I'm curious how what the process was like for you after sort of coming across this voice that you liked writing it in sort of a shorter version, but then how that tracked into you growing it into a novel. Well, so the shorter version really was just, you know, the first 20, 30 pages of the, maybe, maybe a little longer. I, it's, it was an anecdote that, um, uh, essentially that, uh, you know, then the first, so the first, uh, you know, the first, let's see, I don't know, 40, 50 pages of the book more closely resemble, um, lived experience than anything else. It kind of spins off into fantasy from there, but it's rooted in an anecdote that I used to, that I told a couple times about, uh, um, myself and some friends in our early twenties and, uh, and a, and a triple date gone terribly wrong. Or terribly yeah, right. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, so I had I had this little story to tell, and I uh, it all it, it, I it, I found it hilarious, and I really liked the the, the secondary characters in that story as well. Um, so once I finished, once I got to a kind of endpoint with that, uh, I realized that while I I told the story. Um, the anecdote, there was an arc that was happening that was nowhere near complete, you know, um, that it wasn't, it wasn't enough of a journey for these characters. And also, like you say, I mean, I just wanted to spend more time with, mm-hmm. not just with the narrator in this case, but with the other guys who, uh, were based on people I knew. And at, at that point, uh, or at the time I'm writing the book, you know, geography and, and jobs and adulthood made constant contact impossible. Or So you just, I'm like, well, I want to spend some time with them and see what happens with yeah. these characters. Uh, so yeah, it was this combination of, of the story being incomplete, uh, the anecdote being told, but, but having introduced more things and it, you know, created more unresolved conflicts than it resolved. And, uh, and then the yeah. desire just to, to spend more time with the characters. So if, if, if I'm right, 
um, the the time period of the book was roughly around like 2003 thereabouts. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So, what was going on? Let's say socio politically or whatever. What was the landscape there mm-hmm. that was going on at that time that helped to inform your story, your characters? So yeah, I, I think it was a time that was uh, evocative of, of the time or of the moment we're in right now, just on a smaller scale. It was um, a, a time where uh, people were scared. Um, 9-11 was still uh, uh, close enough, recent enough to um, <clears throat> still be in people's thoughts and people... Uh, there was, we were we had gone to war a few months before the the action so the story begins we had invaded Iraq uh, despite massive protests some of the largest uprisings in the history of the world in opposition to the war and uh, and the war itself doesn't have a direct I mean it it has an indirect impact on these characters of course uh, but they're not in danger of being drafted. Uh, for the most part, people they know aren't involved in it, but it's indicative of um, of a, a direction that uh, this world that they are are supposed to be excited about entering into right now at, at that moment in their lives is going, and it and it's this giant force that says, "Wait, um, it, well, it's a or maybe it's a wake up call. It's a." at least for the narrator, for the protagonist, um, and for his friends, maybe it, it reinforces, uh, some ideas that they already had about where their society was going. Um, so it's, a, it's this major thing to contend with. Like, how do you reconcile yourself, uh, to, to this, to the direction that it seems, the world around you is, is, is going in. How do you, how do you, yeah. how do you like, how do you step onto that train? You know? Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, when, um, I had heard of your writing through Tyson at rare bird, but really my first sort of entry into your work was when we performed a while back in San Francisco for the uh, Lit Crawl event, uh, Lit Quick, Lit Crawl. And a piece you read at that event, really, uh, there was was like a certain hypnotic kind of uh, element to it. There were certain lines that you kind of repeated. Again, it had a cadence and a music to it. And it really had kind of poetic quality to it at times. And I uh, was curious if if, um, you actively read poetry at all to help inform your fiction or, or, or how that works for you? Um, yeah, I do. I, I don't read a ton of poetry, but I, I, I do. I'm not afraid of it. I don't think I, I, uh, I really enjoy it. Um, uh-huh. and, and I also very much appreciate, uh, cause I like, I'm, I'm a sucker for stories. So I, I generally tend to pick up a novel. Um, or or uh, some nonfiction 
when I'm doing my pleasure reading during the day. And, um, but I, I love, I love poets turned novelists too. I love, you know, it's one of the reasons I've drawn to your book is, uh, uh-huh. is the care, um, given to each word, each sentence, you know, um, and to the voice and the rhythm. I have, oh, cool. uh, thank you. I imagine you do too. I have, I, I have a, a music background. Um, and I think that that also uh, was really something that I leaned on, something that's useful. Um, not just, not just in, uh, the, in terms of, uh, the voice, but in terms of, uh, the rhythm of a piece. Yes. Um, yes. uh, you know, how something like repetition might be used or, uh, yeah, how co- a coda might be used in fiction if if there's a yeah. point that you need to make or yeah. Well, it's funny that you you, did, that you mentioned yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say it was funny that you mentioned music because I believe the piece that you read that night in San Francisco was about a younger you getting a. a, a it had there was a music there was a musical element to it about you getting like a CD or something. What was the story of that again? Oh, right, right, right. Um, yeah. Uh, me and when I was in fifth grade, I, um, I, I hung out with a, an older guy from the sixth grade who was, <laughs> and that, that grade was the sixth grade. Well, the class one year above me class of 94 in high school, uh, just kind of a notorious bad boy, uh, class. Um, and it was uh, I was it was in one night that I was introduced to uh, the Kentucky Fried movie and and the Misfits (laughs) 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 and um, and it was very appealing of course and thrilling uh, but the, the transformation isn't complete in one night you know so the next day I have my my mom take me to the music store and I'm going to buy legacy of brutality. Um, and I go in there and I, and I, uh, pick up the, the cassette and she's, she wants to know what's got my interest. And I show it to her and she looks at it and there's like, a, um, she repeats the name of, uh, one song title. She goes like angel fuck. And, you know, kind of lifts the eyebrow <laughs> <laughs> and there's me there. Like, yeah, angel fuck. <laughs> I'm, I'm into that um, yeah. but I of course end up I only have enough money for one album or one tape and I end up uh, putting Misfits back and getting the, the album that's playing over the speakers which, which really is which is I've been grooving to ever since I came in the store and that was uh, the Moody Blues <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> yeah I really I really love that story but yeah that was that was great. You know, there are many things that I admire about you, your work, and also the fact that you work with incarcerated youth. You know, I'm a teacher. I've also, with my poetry, um, visited some uh, youth correctional centers and things, but I have never yeah. worked with un- incarcerated youth um, on a full-time basis. I, I teach... Uh, in public schools downtown LA. Um, but 
you know, incarcerated youth working regularly with people like that, I mean, that, you know, it takes a lot of fortitude. It takes a lot of savvy on your part. I mean, it, it, it really takes a lot. And I'm curious what your art, your writing, your teaching has brought, to, has been able to bring to them, how maybe even how you've seen some of them change over time. Well, I'm, uh, <clears throat> I, I'm, I, I've always wished that I was more of a poet when I work with them. It's such a wonderful form, uh, for, for reaching kids. Um, I think maybe because you're, you know, if you keep something brief, you can, um, you can approximate the work of, of, of a professional, I think. And then not that you're, not that within an hour's time teaching, uh, uh, an hour that a kid is going to um, learn the craft and not, and not at all that it's any easier craft to master, just that if you have a, a small focus and you and you keep it to a couple lines and um, uh, because the kids are already, most of them, so familiar with um, with hip-hop and, and with metaphor and simile through that they already have some of the tools and and they might be able to come up with a couple lines that that uh get a big response from the group so i um i'm i'll ask you i guess more about how you use your your poetry to reach your students um but uh shoot now i've forgotten exactly what your question was (laughs) i was curious how maybe you've seen your work with the students, how it's helped them, how maybe you see, how maybe it's empowered them, given them a, a voice, how you've maybe, how you've seen the work maybe transform some of them, change them over time? Yeah, so I mean, one would think that um, transformation is, uh, you know, a, a a big thing and, and, and certainly elusive and especially in a system that doesn't really allow for that. Cause it's not necessarily about them transforming themselves. Like they're already, they're caught, you know? Um, and so many of them, even, even ones who are just in for a few weeks or something, once they're going to be back out, they're going to be have on probation. They're going to have a GPS monitor the likelihood of them staying out uh, once they've been once they've been ensnared by that system is 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 not very high. Um, recidivism is such a problem. Uh, but what you do see um, is the yearning uh, for connection and how much just how or how little. Uh, positive response they have gotten to their work in their life. You might have a really hardened kid who's in there for, uh, you know, for terrible charge, you know, like has a murder charge against him. Um, And you would think, well, it's going to take something miraculous to reach this, this kid who's severely traumatized and has committed this horrific act. Um, has had this low moment in his life that he may never get past. And yet, you know, he writes one paragraph about his childhood and you point to something in there that you really like and, and that, and he just, be, you know, he just becomes a kid. Uh, 
and gets that goofy smile and blushes and, and then works <laughs> harder and starts, you know, it's, it's just, it's just so foreign to them to be in a classroom too, where they're, most of them are used to having a very uh, contentious relationship with, with the teachers or, um, I mean, not, not that they've had, they, you know, they come from public schools that are overcrowded and underfunded and, um, and it's a rare kid in there who, who really excelled in a classroom. There are a few, but uh, not too many. So yeah. that, that, that potential is, is, is there. I mean, it, for, for them to really get excited about the work and to really, and to start and to become prolific even to, because we have a magazine that we publish every two weeks. And, um, the organization I work for is called the beat within and we publish this magazine every two weeks. It goes out to, um, thousands of readers and many of them in, in detention centers, but also subscribers. And, and, uh, so they, they, that's a big carrot dangle in front of them and for them to see their work published and not just be praised. I mean, that can, it just has a profound impact. Um, and I don't know if it's going to change their life, but it, it's one piece that they need to see, you know, where they see their, their voice resonating with someone else. They see it and they see it being valued, uh, by, yeah. by someone else. Nice. Yeah. With my um, students. Yeah. I was just going to ask you about your relationship with your students. Yeah. Well, with my students, uh, I, I mean, I teach more in a in a public school setting, as I said before. And actually, I teach um, fifth grade. And it's funny what you said before. Actually, kind of a little aside when you about your this the story that I heard you read in San Francisco, and you were talking about. Um, you were in fifth grade and you had sort of been introduced to this, you know, this sort of slightly menacing student in, in sixth grade, but it's funny. Uh, just thinking about my own time back in fifth grade and my students now, uh, because at our school, they go from, it peaks out at fifth grade in elementary and then they go to right. middle school, which, which is sixth grade. And even though it's only like, one grade difference. It, it's one of those periods, I think, in your life where making that jump from fifth grade to sixth grade or being in fifth grade and knowing someone in sixth grade seems like such a huge jump. You know, it just, yeah. it's, it's one of those markers where you, you really change, I think, in many ways. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I sometimes feel like I'm leading my, <laughs> my my students that are perhaps a little, you know, shyer, a bit more, you know, a little uh, reserved or whatever. I, I feel like I'm sort of leading them lambs to slaughter, so to say, when they when they leave the <laughs> school and go on to sixth grade. I just feel. I feel like, man, I just, I wish the best for you. I, I hope you can, you know, continue your education that, you know, you don't get the crap beat out of you in middle school, you know, because middle school is just, it's rough, man. I mean, just remembering back to my own middle school days and stuff, but you know, with my yeah, it's a fucking nightmare. 
right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's difficult. I, I, I sometimes look back on it and just wonder how I ever made it through those years or how anyone really sort of ever makes it through those years because, I mean, you know, you've got the hormones kicking in and just your hormones mixed with, you know, everyone else's hormones and it's just, yeah, it's, it's not. Yeah, I've often thought, I, I, and I taught, um, I should, I, I've also taught, uh, well, a combined fifth and sixth grade class. This is a, at a private progressive school. So it was like a K through six. Um, I'm familiar with the time you're talking about. It. And I know up here in Northern California at all, the middle schools work that way as well, where they go six to eight. So I, I know exactly the, the leap you're talking about taking, um, and the difference in how, um, having those kids, thrown together in the school that I used to teach at was, uh, was different. I mean, you, you, you get a little primer, uh, when you're in fifth grade for what's coming, I think, cause even though the sixth graders are still in that same setting, they're, they're like distancing themselves from it cause they, yeah. they rec- and, and they're talking a lot of shit and being super hard to the, you know, it's like, it's like a kid in juvenile hall is about to go to prison or something like that. You got to inflate yourself and distance yourself from this place because you know it's about to get a lot rougher um, yeah but I've, I, I've thought like as much fun as middle school kids are and I've had some good times teaching working with groups of kids that age like I think it might be a misguided model I, perhaps an apprenticeship for a couple of years where they just go learn a trade and and work for you know, in a much small, like with a much smaller peer group and then come back and do high school together or something. Yeah. I don't know. It's a, it's a rough, rough time. And I think uh, a lot of work sometimes needs to be done to undo all the, all the trauma, real trauma in that period. Real trauma. Yeah, exactly. I mean, with my own students, with what I do, with them, I mean, it's it's a bit different with my students because I've got, you know, I've got all the pressures of standardized tests and, and mm. you know, hitting all the subjects and everything. So I'm kind of dealing with, I, I mean, I wish I could just sort of work with them, you know, focus on writing and all the, you know, and though I do read novels with them, we, we have periods of the day where we're able to focus on a novel and track the characters and story arc and things like that. And, and that's amazing. And I, and I do do poetry with them and, and I actually do a lot of uh, music related things with them. I mean, especially since the arts have pretty much been, been gutted throughout a lot of Los Angeles Unified School District. I mean, we haven't had a, a solely dedicated music teacher for years and and i do i you know i'll occasionally bring my guitar in and and do some work with students that way writing songs but i i'll also um you know if we're talking about a certain subject or something i'll you know pull up a song on you know, I'll purchase a song on iTunes or Amazon or something and I'll play it for the class and, you know, and I'll make a connection between whatever we're doing and that particular song or I'll, you know, there was one time where I did a lesson with the students where we were talking about outer space or whatever. And I pulled up Elton John's, you know, rocket man and, and David Bowie's space oddity. And, 
we did a whole lesson on comparing and contrasting, you know, those two songs and the characters and everything. So, and, and, you know, as I'm, yeah. And as I'm sure you've seen with your, your students and writing and stuff and, you know, doing things like art and music and your writing or whatever, it, it taps into something inside the students that, you know, like with my students, they're just so used to, they've been so conditioned to like just, you know, having to like take one standardized test after another and this and that. And, you know, when I was in elementary school, I mean, we, we took tests from time to time, but it is just nothing like it is now. I mean, sadly, so much of my day um, seems like it's just sort of preparing them for one test after another. And so it, it becomes really uh, kind of a creative challenge on my part to like figure out, okay, you know, yeah, there's that and I've got to help prepare them for that. Um, but how can I sort of creatively work these other things in and to help them be a better rounded individual so that life is not just about, you know, pressing A, B, C, or D for an answer choice or whatever. And they respond really well to, to music and, and light up when I'll, you know, talk about writing or poetry or we read a novel and they see these characters change before their eyes and we talk about what motivates those changes and, um, you know, it just lights them up in, in ways that, you know, these, these other things. That makes learning dynamic, right? Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah, there's an old, I, I don't know, I guess, is it Dewey or somebody who wrote about education, whether you conceive of it as a, as a vessel into which someone pours water, a very leaky vessel, or if it's a, a thread that's laid out by the instructor where the students proceed to develop their capacities to inquire and create. I think nice metaphors yeah. to, to, to hold on to. I mean, and obviously yeah. with our testing, it's all about that leaky vessel right now. It's and it's yeah. um, it's 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 just uh, it's not gonna you know you're not gonna reimagine much in terms of like uh, new value systems and things like that that I you know that we're that we're hoping to inspire. Um, it's good luck trying to do that if you just uh, you know have a generation of kids who who have only been taught to think about learning as, as retaining knowledge. And yeah. I mean, that's, that's, and it's, but it's also really important that we have teachers like you who work within that system who also look for ways, you know, you're constrained by the system, but you're looking for those ways to, to ignite something else and to have them connect with their material like space to art you know, that's that right yeah. there. That's such a leap that, that uh, many other teachers might not, might not take with them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, they've really, I mean, you know, the, as I'm sure, you know, the work can be extremely challenging at times, but man, it's, it's, it's extremely rewarding as well. And, and rewarding in ways that really rewards me in, in ways that no other job, you know, I've ever, it, it, yeah. it, it, it 
doesn't parallel any other job I've ever had because, frankly, most of the other jobs I've ever had have been like, you know, boring desk jobs, administrative right. assistant or whatever bullshit. Um, but I'll tell you, you know, the work is uh, working with students and whatever has, has definitely helped to make me a more fearless performer like when it comes to my spoken word stuff man if you can well yeah. i'm sure you know you working with your students man it, it it you know if you don't have a certain fearlessness or whatever a certain just sort of confidence or or fearlessness kind of going into the situation you know those kids can kind of eat you up so if you don't necessarily yeah, you you have to have it. absolutely yeah you got to be confident you got to be confident and you have to, and you have to like kind of leave your leave. I, I mean, it's a, no, it's a bullshit free zone. Like they'll just sniff it out so quickly. You know, if you, if you project anything that's insincere to, to try and, you know, connect, even if it's just to try and connect, if, if it's not coming from a real place, you're, you're going to, they're going to turn on you very fast. <laughs> yeah yeah i you know i think you know, about I, like other teachers that i had maybe who were who, like cursed a lot or something to try and impress uh mm -hmm. you know and it and it even me who uh, as a kid i i responded to that pretty negatively too i felt like that's not real that's just that's somebody who thinks they know what's going to impress me doing that right. instead of just, um, and I, I think, you know, that's just a, it just comes from insecurity. It's not like something, a real bad mark on somebody's character, but, but yeah, as a performer, as a writer, I think even just in the writing, like that insecurity will shine through as well. You know, people trying to do too much with prose, um, and not just let the, let the ideas and let the characters, shine through um it's going to make people's bullshit detectors go off and it's going to you're going to turn some people off yeah you know speaking of uh student teacher relationships that sort of thing that was that was another thing i really enjoyed about your book was that and and i didn't you know having met you and stuff mm -hmm. i wasn't really thinking it was going to necessarily go off in, in on this sort of tangent but um I was I was really relieved, happy, just sort of admired how in your book your relationship, well, your your you know your your main character's relationship, the teacher, the tutor, with the students mm -hmm. never. I mean, it's funny because there were a couple moments where it kind of danced that edge because there's uh, you know the one girl who's extreme, you know, who's sort of blossoming into her sexuality. And everything, right. you know, but you never veered into that sort of lechy, like, you know, gonna, what would it be like to have, you know, sex with right. one of my student kind of things, you know, sort of uh, Lolita, whatever. But uh, I really like that edge that you sort of walked with, you know, kind of maintaining dignity, character, being a strong sort of role model as well as strong as you could be because you know you had your right. own shit going on in the book which you know would just your own chaos and disappointments and 
struggles and stuff, but I, I like how it didn't kind of bleed over into your work life in a, in a, in a creepy way. And I, and, and now that I've sort of brought that up, I'm curious if you were kind of con how conscious were you of that line you had to walk when sort of, uh, presenting those relationships in the book? Um, I was, uh, well, I was conscious of it. It's, uh, it, it was, it's something that's really important to, to show, I think, because especially with a young teacher and with high school kids, I mean, these are, these are sexual beings. It's not, and, and, and there's going to be flirtation. There's going to be an innuendo. There's going to be uncomfortable shit with young teachers. Um, but it's, it's one of those moments in, in a, in a young person's life when you, male or female, I think, where you recognize that you're the adult in the room now. Um, so for this character who's struggling to, to, to grow um, and be uh, a man, um, it's, it was uh, necessary that, 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 that there be a character who pushes him in that direction, who pushes him to be, to, uh, to try not necessarily being an, an authority figure, but being a model. Um, yeah. For, uh, yeah, for, for respect. Uh, and, and, and then that once, you know, once you, even if you, even it's a fake it till you make it kind of situation, like you, you do, you, you wear that hat in the, in, with the, with the student or in the classroom or wherever. And it's, and start all of a sudden you look like that thing that you don't feel like inside to a lot of other people, to other people, you are that, that teacher, that role model. And you may not yeah. have recognized because, because it's not like, you know, the clouds part and you, and or you, or you grow an inch or something like that, you know, nothing physically changes. There's um, it's just the perception or it's very subtle anyway, because you may still have a lot of the same mixed up feelings that you had before, but, but, uh, to the outsider, they, they recognize the shift before you've seen it in yourself. Yeah. You know, something that I mentioned earlier was that I had originally tried writing my novel as a novel in stories, but then mm -hmm. when working with, uh, Seth Fisher, you sort of uh, reworked it into a novel with chapters, you know, but when I was working it, and I guess even when I was working it, the rewrites with Seth, more so when I was exploring that whole novel and stories thing, I would find, um, I would put my uh, mark, my narrator into different situations. Uh, sometimes I think just for, either shock value or just the ridiculousness of it or whatever. Uh, and mm -hmm. sometimes it felt genuine. And sometimes after just writing and writing and writing, I would slowly but surely, and thank goodness, realize, you know what, this doesn't really seem genuine to who Mark is and, and what he would actually mm -hmm. do. And, and, you know, would, would sometimes scrap, months worth of work just because you know what this is this is going down a dead end alley and i need to kind of steer him back in the direction that's that's truer to who 
to who he is. And that sort of begs a question for me when, when you were working on your book and, and growing it from that, that original idea, if there were ever situations, if you ever had sort of fits and starts where, uh, you know, you were putting your character into situations and, and thinking you were going in a, in a good direction, but ultimately found out, you know what, this isn't really true to him and I, I need to go in a different direction. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, I, I think actually the, the, the main, uh, architecture of the story, uh, developed, um, more smoothly than I, than, uh, than I think I'll even experience again for whatever reason. Uh, <laughs> it just, uh, <laughs> it, 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 uh, there were certainly days worth of work and sometimes weeks that I scrapped um, and scenes that, that slowed down the momentum. I really wanted a swift tale. I wanted something that like your novel is, is fairly epic. I mean, it, it, it uh, traverses a, a large, a much in comparison to mine anyway, a much longer period of time and a, a longer right. sort of, um, journey uh away from home you know this process of leaving uh and uh i i i don't know maybe it was because i kept it to such a short period of time that i didn't i didn't have too many things uh that i ended up scrapping in the first draft of it it was when i went back to it and i was like i need to okay so i have this bare bones of the story and now i need to load it up a bit I need to write in new scenes. I need to introduce new character, develop this character more because this guy was working. Um, and I, this uh, writer that I, Joshua Moore, um, who I, oh yeah, uh, I love uh, yeah, I noticed with that you have, yeah, I know. Oh well, just real quick, well, because one, I noticed the blurb by Joshua. I love his work, but I also noticed. Mm-hmm that you went to USF, right? Did you study yeah. with him there or something? Okay. I didn't. I followed him a couple years later, um, but I got introduced to him through a mutual friend and, and uh, ended up actually like helping, like looking at one of his manuscripts and giving him feedback. And then he, he let me take, uh, he, he invited me to take one of his classes uh, that he was teaching nearby after I had finished the NFA. Um, oh. So Josh was a big help in getting the book started. Um, and then, I, but his idea of just like writing 1200 pages in order to get down to 250 or something, which I am not as prolific as he is. I, it didn't take that many pages. Um, but you have, you start out with this, with a ver- whatever version of the story you cough up and then you bloat it up, you know, with, right all these other possibilities and backstory and things, and then you trim it back down. And that's, that's kind of the natural progression for him. And, and it's been useful in terms of attacking my own work. I don't know. Did, so yeah. you had, was there, was there a, um, a, a, an outline that you were working from? Did you have a, an idea of where the story began and ended before you started? Or was that like a, a process of discovery? Uh, that's a good question. I, I, I think going into it, I was very clear about 
where it began because aside from that one spoken word piece that I mentioned earlier that was sort of the entryway into the novel for me, the piece I wrote after that, which is a piece actually that doesn't appear in the novel now, but it's a piece that Tyson and I recorded, which is on the audio version of the novel where we recorded different sections from the novel. It's uh, Mark sort of narrating from the womb, like basically telling the reader, um, you know, even even at this point in my life, uh, before I'm even born, I, I already know my life is screwed and here are the reasons why and, and et cetera, et cetera. So that was like the second thing I wrote. So I basically kind of knew where the novel was, was starting, um, the, the kidnapping sort of crazy kidnapping piece that was the spoken word piece um, that I just knew was going to appear sometime later. And then ultimately he was going to get out. And so that was basically all I kind of knew. And then I, when it was a novel and short stories, I sort of kind of, you know, kind of just put him in different situations at different points in his life, getting him from point A to point B to point C, ultimately leaving. And and there was a bit of like jumping around and stuff. And I think in that incarnation, it had moments and there are definitely um, moments and even large chunks of writing that from that, those incarnations kind of appear in the novel in its current form. But once and you know even then i thought i knew the characters pretty well where the story was going but when i was paired with seth um one of the seth was great his pro i mean i should talk for a moment about his process he was great because basically what he did was he read the novel as i had originally written it written it as a novel and short stories and he charted it the whole thing out bless him on, on like huge like butcher paper, just a long, huge thing. And, yeah. and then he basically gave that to me and said, okay, here's what your novel currently looks like. And it was this huge, these huge pieces mm. of butcher paper that I put up on my wall. wall. I should say walls because it sort of spanned a couple walls in my workroom. And then Seth and I talked about the once I sort of and then he talked about the idea of like, I think you should really kind of approach this in chapters, which scared the hell out of me because one, I wasn't sure I could do it like to think in those terms of like take all the information I had laid out, but then break it up and kind of pepper it throughout the book and kind of really sort of write a different book even though it's the same characters but once I sort of just was like well you know what have you got to lose you know you've been working on this novel for so long now what's the worst that could happen it doesn't get published and it's like you've been kind of working under that modus operandi for a while now anyway so screw it go for it <laughs> so um so I started, you know, going through the process of kind of chunking it into chapters, rewriting it, thinking about the characters differently. And working with Seth, I actually surprised myself. I, uh, I went deeper with the characters. I discovered things that 
I didn't even know, you know, prior to doing that, re those rewrites with Seth, I invented some new characters, characters that, you know, had never even crossed my radar before. So while elements of the novel, the, like March Journey sort of stayed the same, he got from point A to point B to point C, um, he did so in some very different ways that completely surprised me and delighted me. Um, and, you know, he brought some other characters along for the ride that hadn't become apparent, you know, until I started doing those rewrites with, with Seth. So that was an incredible journey. And, and, uh, it was, you know, it was grueling at times, but man, I learned so much. And, and I, I mean, there were moments where I would just laugh out loud because I was sort of, you know, that voice that comes through you and where you sort of you said it before kind of where you you kind of get you you get to that place where you can sort of if you're fortunate enough where you can kind of get out of the way of your characters and let them talk and you're not having you're not like trying to dazzle the you're not being so conscious where you're dazzling the reader with all these words and how like look how great I am as a writer but it it's growing organically through the characters actions and their voice and mm -hmm. and I and they I just found that through that process of working with Seth I was able to touch upon those moments more and more and really delight in them and and surprise myself along the way and kind of like what you said before it's like I'm not quite sure I will ever write a book that way again. I mean, I may, who knows, but it it was it was really an amazing journey. Yeah. Um yeah, thanks so much for right, for your time today and and thanks for uh thanks for, you know, the close read of the book. I really appreciate it. Oh yeah, and likewise. It, I really appreciate it and uh yeah. In 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 right. times like these, where it's so easy to just skim things and other things, sort of taking people's time and attention. Um, thank you, likewise, for your yeah. close attention yeah. to the book and everything. Because yeah. as we know, sure takes a buttload of time to write them. It's nice to know. It's nice to know <laughs> that you know <laughs> a couple yeah. people are out there actually reading. So thank you. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Thank you. All right. All right. Bye-bye.